Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Our text for our sermon is Psalm 128, a song of the ascents. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, everyone who is walking in his ways. Yes, you will eat the food you worked for. How blessed you are. It will go well for you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine in the inner rooms of your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Look, this is how blessed the man is who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion so that you see prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life and see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Pharisees believed that one of the ways you could tell that you really had God's favor was that he was giving you lots of wealth. Wealth can be a curse, brothers and sisters in Christ. Wealth can be a blessing. But the truth of the matter is, you don't have to win the lottery, if you will, to be blessed by God. In fact, when verse 1 says of our text, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, the Hebrew word for that is in the plural. We struggle how to translate that. Intensely happy, oh, the many states of blessedness, or we could say in English, extremely blessed. Psalm 128 is the anecdote to any thinking that the way God blesses you is with wealth. And and again, that can be a blessing, but too many people think it is the blessing and, and get hung up on the wrong thing. So today we will see that you are extremely blessed in Christ. Now, once again, uh, my own translation of verse one is, Oh, the states of blessedness of all who respect the Lord. Now, you'll notice the Hebrew word I translated as all who respect. In the early days of the English language, when the Bible was translated into English, wasn't even the common English we spoke today. They translated this as fear. I want to let you know that one way or the other, those who are even indifferent to the Lord, as Revelation says uh, to the city, since you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth and into the flames. And those who just vehemently hated God, such as the God-hating atheist. One way or the other, they will fear the Lord. And that will happen on Judgment Day. Their Judgment Day may be when they die and they face the Lord. Or when Christ returns, whichever one happens while they are still alive. And when Christ returns, they will, those who had died before that were unbelievers will be raised out of hell. And they will truly fear the Lord. They will know this is the one they rejected. But that's not what's meant in this text at all. For this text is talking of believers. In fact, the Hebrew word that is often translated as fear is one of the most common Old Testament terms for belief. See, for somebody who looks at God and says, Lord, you could have used all your power to crush me like a bug and send me to hell because I am truly unholy. And in and of myself, it's impossible for me to love you. I am so much your enemy. But instead, you use that power to put your love in my heart to give me faith. And they stand back with an awe, with a reverent respect, with with a reverent awe for the Lord. In fact, the name used here for the Lord is his covenant name. The name that emphasizes God exists absolutely in and of himself. There's nobody more powerful than him that's going to come along and make him break a promise against his own will. Nothing like that can happen. So when he promises you, for example, as he does in your baptism, 
I have saved you. I've put my Holy Spirit in your heart. The only thing that's going to change that contract is if you put up one heck of a stubborn fight to drive him out of your heart. God means it. And so stop and think about this. Oh, the states of blessedness. First of all, the person who fears the Lord, who has reverent respect for the Lord, they have faith. So there's the uh, one, one of the many states of blessedness. We're going to get into many throughout the sermon. We're just going to go through a few here become from faith. So if you have faith, remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you have faith, then you know that Jesus did all the work for your salvation. Oh, there's another state of blessedness. And if you are clinging completely to Christ for the forgiveness of sins, guess what? Your sins are forgiven. Yet another state of blessedness. If your sins are forgiven, then you are certainly saved. Eternal life is yours now. Heaven will be yours later, but it's promised to you now. But you are saved now. And if you're saved now... That means all the awful things, the things that we think are awful that happen in life, being diagnosed with cancer, having our 401ks take a dive because of foolish politicians and things like this, uh, circumstances uh, beyond our control, uh, high prices of gas because of other politicians invading countries or our foolish policies uh, towards uh, fossil fuels or foolish policies that, that, that make man a lousy stewardship with fossil fuels. We can go on and on. All those things that what we turn around and sicknesses and people despising us, we can turn around and we can think, oh, these are miserable. But the truth of the matter is, when you know that you have faith and that your sins are forgiven, that you're saved, that means that God promises he's using all of those for your eternal well-being and the eternal well-being of your neighbor whom he sends you to share the word of God with. Oh, there's another state of blessedness, being able to share the word of God and comfort your neighbor. But here, there's something wonderful in knowing even the things that are miserable in this life, they're not really miserable. God is using them for your eternal well-being to keep you in the faith, to bring your neighbor into the faith and keep them in the faith. And so literally, history revolves around you. Christ took on human flesh and died for you to save you. And he's ruling over creation to make everything that happens in your life serve your eternal well-being so that you arrive safely in heaven. So if God is making that much, literally making the history of the world revolve around you, then you could be absolutely confident of yet another state of blessedness. You are a child of God. So... Right there, we see God has given you faith, and that means there are many different kinds of blessings. Remember, I told you that Hebrew word was plural. So there's an extreme blessedness you have. You have many states of blessedness. But what then happens? What do you do with this? Our text says, who walk in his ways. We could translate that, who conduct their lives in his ways. There was that guy in Corinth who had recognized that his sins had been forgiven by Christ. So he's free, free from the condemnation of the law. So what does he do? He goes off and has sexual intercourse with his stepmother and he's bragging to people about it. Uh, that violated the commandments. When you're an unbeliever, the commandments, they, they enslave you. They damn you to hell. When you're a believer, the commandments still show you your sins. But now... You say, but Lord, you've saved me. You've washed me away. I don't want to wallow in my sins like that guy did, like a pig in mud. No, how, how, how can I glorify, thank and praise you? How can I do good works not in order to be saved, but because I am saved, because that's how I thank and praise you. And the Ten Commandments are a guide in that. Let nothing else have first place in your heart but God. 
Assume the best of your neighbor. Defend their reputation. Defend their property. And so you walk in the ways of the Lord. You use the law as a guide. We call this life of sanctification. You are blessed to have faith so that now your new man literally every day wrestles with your sinful nature to not let your sinful nature win out and have its way. But the new man has its way when God is glorified in our lives. You are extremely blessed in, in Christ. He has given you faith. And we could end the sermon there. But that's certainly not where the psalm ends, does it? That's just verse 1. Now, we have so far focused really on heavenly blessings, on spiritual blessings, on the blessings that come because God has given you that new person that is alive in Christ. But while you live with that new person on this world, there are blessings that come of this world. Temporal blessings, if you will. Verse 2 says, uh, I want to, before I read my translation, I want to emphasize, the Hebrew language does not actually have tense, past, present, future. You get that out of the context. It has completed action or incompleted action. And um, so when it uses incompleted action often in the Psalms, what it's saying is, here is a general principle that you see over and over and over again. That's the Hebrew imperfect. So over and over again, you surely eat the labor of your hands. This text today in our post-industrialized society can be very difficult for us to understand and very easy for us to understand. The people who would understand this the most today are people probably who do things like have a garden. Now, there is no sin in working hard and being able to go to the grocery store and buy groceries. That's actually what this is saying for today's ears. But you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you who grow gardens and you have your own cucumbers and tomatoes and zucchini and watermelon, etc., sometimes that might not be as good as you can buy at the store. But because you grew it, because it's your sweat and labor, because even though, even though God cursed the world against it, God blessed you to be able to pull that out, you know that there's something about it that's very satisfying. Isn't it a blessing, brothers and sisters in Christ, to be able to know that your work and your toil is not in vain? Isn't it a blessing to know that God gave you the health so that you were able to put the roof over your head? So that you were able to provide food for your family and clothes on your and their backs? This can be quite contrasted to the modern worldview the, of the post-industrialized word of probably what is post-postmodernism philosophy if you want to wax deeply into that. See, today in our society, in our post-industrialized society, the glorious thing is to be a victim. And the more of a victim you are in whichever way you want, make it gender, make it race, make it, make it culture or, or, or your, your socioeconomic structure, it doesn't matter. The more of a victim you are, the more you think you're entitled to a handout. And who gives you that handout? The government. The government has taken the place of God. It's the government's job to take from those who have more, who maybe have earned it and give to you while you do nothing, while you get to sit on the couch and eat bonbons and talk about how you're entitled. But brothers and sisters in Christ, there's quite a contrast there. And, and certainly some of us fall upon hard times and, can be, and have to resort to uh, the welfare or the generosity of others. And, and I'm not shaming that, brothers and sisters in Christ, but there really is a wonderful blessing to be able to say, the Lord gave me the health that the sweat of my brow, my blood, sweat, and tears 
were able to provide this. Thanks be to God who gave me the health and the circumstances so that I was not reduced to begging, so that I was not reduced to being the victim. God has definitely blessed you with that. And our text continues. It says, states of blessedness are yours. Extreme blessedness is yours. We can miss that. How wonderful it is in this world, one, to have faith, and two, to have the ability through um, our own health and then through wise investment, if you will, and, and not having things fall. So it's investing our labor in the future that we're able to retire and enjoy the fruits of our labors when we get to that age. And it says, and it's good for you. It goes well for you. Yes, there are difficult times in this world, but you know, God's in control. God's ruling over all things. Even though the stock market has crashed, he'll see to it that I am provided for. And, and what a blessing it is when the way he does that is that I'm able to say, yes, the Lord gave me the ability to earn this myself. And so our text continues at verse 3. It says, your wife is like a fruitful vine in the innermost parts in your house. We can definitely misunderstand this text today. Post-industrialization, or the industrial revolution, if you will, took the man out of the house. Prior to the industrial revolution, the average man was a farmer who provided for his family literally by his own blood, sweat, and tears through the soil. Now, same way he provides, but he punches a clock, right? Or, and goes to work, goes to the office, goes to the shop. Well, the Industrial Revolution, our culture, and actually some negative aspects of feminism, not all feminism is, is, is negative, has taken the wife out of the home. When this text was written, what, it, what was going on was the man went out and he grew the wheat and then he, ground, he harvested the wheat, then he ground the wheat, then he brought the wheat home. And from there on out, the wife who had given birth to the children's stuff as well, she would take that wheat and mix it up. She'd build a fire and she would make breakfast. And, and you know, it was an all-day thing to not only make breakfast, but then to be able to make lunch and dinner. That was plenty. That was a handful. She had kids. Who was going to make the clothes? The man went out and he, sheared, he, he took care of the sheep. He sheared the sheep. But the wife then she would sit there and work the wool and then spin it into yarn and then make the clothes for the whole entire family so to make this speak uh, to our modern culture it would be whether you're a husband or a wife how blessed you are when your spouse is not lazy themselves is not somebody who's just sitting on the couch demanding you bring them chocolate bonbons but they are contributing their part as well and it is a reminder for us Men, if you clock out and go to work and your wife clock out, if you clock in and go to work leaving the house and your wife does the same thing, don't expect her to then do the laundry, the cooking, take care of the children. You need to be blessed for her and this text will apply for both of you. So how blessed it is when both spouses are working together to help each other. A good godly spouse is a blessing. And then because they're a godly spouse, they too are contributing their part to providing for the roof over the head and the things that go on underneath that roof. And so it continues. Your children are like offshoots of an olive tree around your table. Now, it used to be if you had children, we've got to be careful because today we hear slave labor and that's not what was meant. If you had children... They could go out and help work the field. They could help mom with the cooking. They could, as more children were born, the older ones could help tend to the youngers. And so there was a family loving workforce. And when your daughter got to the point where she was married, she left the home and, you know, in, in Israel, she went a couple houses down and, and, and to, to your neighbor, to the man she had married. But when your sons got married, 
you built another addition to the house. There was like a central rotunda that was the main meeting place. But they stayed there in the home. And for mom and dad, the children were their retirement. Children are a blessing, brothers and sisters in Christ. But in the industrialized world, as one of my member wisely says, children are a financially terrible decision. Where are they? When you bring up your children in the Lord, isn't it wonderful to know, you know, if I do get a disease in my older age, if I have something like Alzheimer's come along, my children will take care of me in good stewardship and love for the Lord until it becomes to the point that my health care needs become 24 hours a day. Isn't it a blessing to know your children are there to help you out as you have helped them out? So there's some worldly blessings here just in family. And our text continues, uh, pay attention, this is verse 4, pay attention to the fact that over and over again, the person who respects the Lord is blessed. All kinds of blessings come from God. All kinds of, they're temporal. Like the institution of marriage itself, Jesus makes clear that does not go on into heaven. We'll be like the angels who are neither married nor given in marriage. But there are temporal blessings and family is one of those big blessings. The ability to put a roof over your head and clothes on your back and food and to be able to be satisfied every day that you're not starving. What wonderful blessings come. So you are extremely blessed in Christ. He's given you faith and he's blessed you and your family. Now, the title to this psalm begins, it says, A Song of the Ascents. When you didn't live in Jerusalem at the time this psalm was written, then uh, you would sing this song as you made your way up the mountain uh, that, that, that the temple was built on, that Jerusalem was built on. You would go to that temple. That temple was a reminder of the coming Savior. For the wages of sin is death, but the blood of the Lamb, that's the coming Savior, would take your sins away. You were going up to be in the presence of the Lord. And as you started that road that zigzagged up the hill, if you will, you would sing this song to remind yourself of how blessed you were by the Lord. You are blessed. And, and in fact, verse 5 says, May the Lord bless you from Zion. Do you realize this is a prayer? You are blessed because you have faith in Christ. You And by that faith, you receive the blood of Christ so that now God promises not only to hear your prayers, and, but to answer them. For unbelievers, they've rejected Christ. God says, I, I hear your prayers because I know all things, but I don't hear them in a way that, that answers, that loves you. He has to remove our sins for that to happen. And what is the person's prayer? He says, may the Lord, that's the one who's absolutely faithful, bless you from Zion. Zion was what they called the top of the mountain where the temple was built. That's where God had promised to dwell. May God bless you from his ruling throne in which he rules as the head of his body, which is also his bride, the invisible church of all believers. We pray that he blesses you. You're able to pray that. And then it says, so that you may see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Zion, Jerusalem, Israel, these are all names. They were concrete things for they actually were a nation and a town, but they were meant to represent the abstract concept of the true church of Christ, the invisible church of all believers. May God bless you from the invisible church, from his bride all the days of your life. And so that you see your children's children, and then it ends, peace be upon Israel. So let's think about what's going on here, seeing your children's children. A couple of weeks ago, it was a wonderful, neat thing that grandpa, who had a great-grandpa with grandma, with mom. Now, mom 
had been blessed, not that, not that the uh, instrument itself matters, the vessel, but had been baptized at the baptismal font, was able to bring her child to the baptismal font. Four generations that have been blessed by the word of God, by the visible manifestation of the invisible church, Lord of Lords Evangelical Lutheran Church. And don't you think that's a blessing, brothers and sisters in Christ? When you and when, when, when Jerusalem, when the true Jerusalem is prospering, the invisible church, that means that we are spreading the word to our friends and family and, and, and they become our brothers and sisters in Christ so that we are mutually encouraging and taking care of and providing for each other. And when it says peace be upon Israel, that's when we live at peace, forgiving each other, sharing the blood of Christ with each other, pouring it upon each other, encouraging each other and lifting each other up. Now, we are also blessed to live in a country where I don't have to worry about a bunch of government agents come flying through the door, beat the stuffing out of me and haul me off and probably have me killed for preaching that God loves you. But even when, like, for example, the Roman government was doing this and they were saying, where are the scriptures? We're burning them. This is why you don't find complete editions of the Bible until about 300 A.D. when the persecution stopped. But even in those times, those Christians who were drugged before the Romans, yeah, release the lions. Oh, that Christian died such a noble death trusting in his Lord. There, too, was peace upon Israel. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't have to win the lottery to be extremely blessed in Christ at all. You are extremely blessed in Christ. He has given you faith. He has blessed you with family. He has blessed you and your family. And he's blessed you so that you are able to take care of and provide for your family and vice versa. He has blessed you so that you are able to pray to the Lord. He has blessed you so that you're able to pray and, and see that the Lord prospers you and your church. He's blessed you with the ability to share the word. He's blessed you with Christian family and friends. Amen. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.